So let's, uh, let's jump in. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 tonight. And uh, the title of this is, What is Love Anyway? What, what is love anyway? And, and this is a fun, uh, this is a really fun passage to go through. There's so many different directions that I'd like to go. But, but here, here's where I really, here's where I really want to go. No, no catchy, funny story. I thought about telling you, like, stories from when Morgan and I dated and, like, how I fell in love with her. And, like, half of the room, like, that are girls would all be like, oh. And then the other guys would be like, Guh. like, give me your man card, because the stuff that you do is just like, you were totally just whipped. Like, it's clear and obvious that she had you, like, wrapped around her finger, and she still does. Um, so I, I thought about that. But, but here's really what it is. I'm just going to be just straightforward with you tonight and tell you exactly what my, my hope is. I was reading this um, in, in Psalms uh, a couple days ago. In Psalm 45, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read just two verses for you real quick, because this really just captures what I'm after. Um, the psalmist writes about the king, and he talks about God being on the throne forever. He talks all the things about God does, but in verse 1 and verse 17, the first verse and the last verse of this psalm, he basically tells you and me what our job is. And this is what I feel like my job is tonight, my goal. So just listen to this, I'm going to explain what it is. Verse 1, he says, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. And at the end, he says, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. So here, here's what I take away from that. This guy is so overwhelmed with the idea of who God is that his heart is overflowing. And as it overflows, as he speaks, he tries to think of more beautiful ways to talk about this God who he has experienced. So that, here's the goal, that his name, God's name, not his own name, not, not, well, not whatever he says, not whatever he would write down, not whatever, what songs he would write, not, none of that. That God's name would be remembered in all generations so that the nations would praise him forever and ever. That, that's really my hope for you guys because here's, here's what I see. And, and you could disagree with me, but as somebody who is an observer of young people works with and talks with young people often, here, here's what I really think is missing for you, is that you need to be so captured by who God is. Like, you need to be captured by that. Like, you need to be overwhelmed. You're, you need to be, your heart needs to be flooded with who God is, because here's what's happening right now. You are living in an age where you are constantly being flooded with stuff. And, and some of it is good, and some of it is not, and some of it is honestly neither good nor bad. It's just kind of like iceberg lettuce. It has no nutritional value. And if you think that iceberg lettuce is how you're getting your veggies in, I hate to tell you, you're literally just drinking a bottle of water that's green. That's all it is. It's iceberg for a reason, right? It has zero nutritional value. So there is some of what you are filling yourself up with that has zero spiritual value in your life. But you're constantly being filled, and, and I think... When people look at young people and they get worried that they're going to walk away from the church or walk away from the Lord, for me, I just want you guys to be captured by Christ. Like, I want your heart to just be overwhelmed with him. Because there's so many other stuff in, the, in this world right now that's trying to grab your attention. And if you allow those things to grab your attention, you'll be captured by them and you'll be filled with them. And you'll end up being what the psalmist was for God for something else. 
you'll be sitting there like a scribe with his pen ready to talk about all the wondrous things about Nike shoes or about basketball or about other sports or about piano or about, I don't know, politics or whatever you get into. I don't know what it is for you, but, but you'll be captured by something. And I want you guys to be captured by the beauty of who God is because of his great love for you. And, and so my goal tonight is that just by talking about God's love, you would allow yourself to be captured and kind of like let it wash over you. Let it almost like a wave that you ever been in one that like when you've been out in the ocean like body surfing and you get on the top of it and then you, you kind of fail. Titus, you been there? Okay, so, so you, you get on it, and for a moment, you think, like, this is amazing. Like, you're, you're, you're dominating. And then nature and the wave tells you that you are puny, and it is big. And it, you get caught up in it. And literally, guys, like, I remember, I don't know how many somersaults I've ever done from, like, the ocean onto shore. But it's just like you tumble all the way down, and then you end up looking up what you think is the sky because it's blue. The ocean's also sometimes blue, and so you're wondering which one is which. And you don't know how you got here. I almost want God's love to just to wash over you to the point where you're just tumbling around in it to the point where you wash up on the shore and you're just like, how did I even get here? I'm just amazed by this, this God who loves me. That, that's my hope. Here, here's why I tell you that. Because one more thing before I jump into First John. This is also uh, another verse you don't have to look up. I'm just going to read it for you. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this about the end times. Again, when I say this, I'm not trying to get weird like Jesus is coming back tomorrow and like you all need to like get your bunkers and like hunker down because if you're left behind, the tribulations happen. I'm not going like crazy like that. Could it happen? Sure. I'd have no idea. But when it says these signs of the last age or the end of the age, Jesus is very clear and we're, we're, we're near it. I don't know how close, but we're near it. That's a relative term. Here's what he says is going to happen. He says, there are going to be many false prophets they will arise and lead many astray. I'm reading from Matthew 24, 11. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Like false teachers are going to arise. There's so many people out there right now who are telling you the wrong things about who God is. So, so Jesus warns false teachers are going to arise and they're going to lead people astray. People, even within the church, they're going to drive them away from the truth of the gospel. Verse 12, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And, and this is not just talking about the love of people in the church. This is just talking about people in general. Because lawlessness, where people think that there is no rule, that your truth is now your truth and my truth is my truth, that's called anarchy. So, so where there is lawlessness, love is going to grow cold. And, and I think if you're honest with yourself, you, you see that in the world out there. This world that's trying to capture your attention it's lying to you because really the love in the world is so cold. It's growing colder. People are hateful. And it's getting easier to be that way because of the way that our world is right now. But I just want you guys to be so captured with God's love. So, so that's kind of my, my hope for you tonight. So here, here's our verse, our verses from First John that we're studying. Okay, verse 7. I have them all on the screen for you through 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, know, does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent him, his only son, into the world, so that we might live through him. 
in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent, uh, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Th- this passage repeats some themes that we've talked about if you've been here for a while about the commands that we have to love one another. But, but there's, a, there's a really important and, and famous little phrase in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Now, that phrase is really important to get correct because God is love gets thrown about everywhere. I was looking online earlier and then kind of an awkward situation. I had a parent and a student here at the academy um, walked into my office, did not know they were coming. It was not like on my schedule or anything. And so my door was open and I was researching stuff related to this topic. What I was researching, I Googled campaigns that feature the word love. And what I got was this one campaign that's called Love Without Labels. If you have ever heard of this, it's basically saying you just have to love everybody regardless of their religious background, their ethnicity, their sexual preferences, LGBTQA plus whatever, all that stuff, you know, their political background. You just have to love everybody, love without labels. And as I'm reading this, which is not a biblical principle, we'll get to that in a second, this mom and daughter walk in to ask me a question about something, and I'm like, oh, please, I almost felt like, I'm, I promise, I am, I'm researching something for good. I'm not crazy. I don't believe this even because I was like, man, this, is not, this doesn't match up with the Bible at all. But, but that, that love without labels thing is so much of what our world is all about right now. You have to love everybody. God is love. Christians, you say that you follow a loving God. Why would a loving God do this? Why would a loving God say this? Why would a loving God tell me who I can and cannot marry? All these things, that whole God is love idea, this verse gets literally picked up, pulled out of the context of scripture, gets weaponized with barbed wire for the world to bash over the head of Christians and say, you're not even following your own Bible. And and here's the problem, and I wrote it on the screen in a way that I hope you understand. When it says in 1 John 4, 7, and 8 that God is love, it does not mean that love is this conquering power that God then submits to and then does it. Because that's what the world is applying. The world is taking the concept of love, how they view it and how they perceive it and how they package it, and they are saying that is what God is. Here's the problem. They have defined love and then pasted it onto God. What this verse is telling you is that God is love, meaning God, who he is, defines what love is. Let me say that again. God defines what love is. So whatever God says is right, whatever God says is true, whatever God does, those things are the definition of love itself. Love is doesn't get plastered onto God, and then he has to fit within the framework of love as human people define it. This is really important to get, because that means that when God executes justice, or God, when he executes judgment against someone or something, when God executes judgment, he does it in love. His judgment is loving. His justice is loving. His mercy is loving. His grace is loving. 
It, everything that he does is loving because he defines love. Love doesn't define God. Love is defined by God. God sets the definition of love. That's really important to get because I, I hope that helps you a little bit understand because the world is trying to flip that and it's a subtle little twist, but you see how that subtle little twist takes it and it now all of a sudden it, 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 makes, it forces something upon God. Well, God has to accept people as they are because God is love. And two people love each other. Two people were once married, and now this person over here is in love with somebody else over here. Well, God has to respect that. That's not at all true, right? God is love. No, that, that's taking the definition of love that the world has changed and plastering it or pasting it onto God, whereas God defines love. Whatever he does is loving. Every single thing that he does, every single decision that he makes is loving. All of his activity is loving activity. I think that's just so important that you understand that first. So what is love anyway? Well, God is love. That is a part of the, the answer to the question, what is love anyway? God is love. He defines it. So whatever he does is loving activity. Here's the other thing. Next verse, 1 John 4, 9, tells you that love's God was made manifest. I love this little quote. Love is always visible. It's not verbal. Love, true love, like genuine love, is always visible. It's always seen. It always provides an action. We tend to wrap up love in a lot of nice words, verbals. Sometimes it's how long, I mean, goodness gracious, I love, I love people. I do, I do. But man, I don't know. This is why I don't get on social media, guys. It's why I don't. It's why I'm like, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm again, I'm anti. I'm anti-social media. I'm gonna say it, I'm outing myself. Because the, the few times I get on there, it's somebody's, you know, it's somebody's, you know, birthday and, and, or it's a relationship anniversary and there's the picture and then there is this underneath the picture. And sometimes you have to hit this like plus button to see more. And it's like, wow, they wrote a love letter to this person. This person is the best thing in the world. They've never done anything wrong. I think they're the best. <sighs> We love, I mean, people write those things so easily, but, you know, true love is actually met when you do actions for people, when you actually do something for them that costs you something. And, and that's what God is, God is. God is love. He defines it, and here's how he defines it. It's, it's love that is visible, not verbal. It would be one thing for God just to say, hey, world, I made you, and then one day, he just gets on a megaphone that literally rings in everybody's ear simultaneously across the globe. Hey, I love you. I made this world for you. And I'm just going to write it in the sky. I love you. His creating the world was an action. It was a visible representation of his love. But, but it would be one thing for him just to say that. But then he does something. He, he manifested, he showed himself, he revealed his love to us. Romans 5.8, he demonstrates, or that shows his love for this, he demonstrates his love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So while you were anti-God, while you were an enemy of God, while you were spitting in the face of God, as some people have said before, you were doing those things, you can't deny it, that's what sin is, it's an affront to God's own existence. You were that, and while you were still there, he died for you to save you. That's how he showed you his love. So, so God's love is always visible to you, 
because of what Jesus did. That's the important thing of this, is that all of this is wrapped up in showing you that Jesus is the one that truly shows God's love for people. And it's not just that Jesus came to the earth where we celebrate at Christmas. It's that Jesus died for us. That's the next part of this verse that it says that he was sent into the world. He was sent. That word sent is actually used so many times throughout scripture. And every single time, here's what it is. It's one person who is a leader sending people out to do a job. They have a mission. It's like when Jesus took the disciples aside and said, hey, I'm sending you. The same word sent is when he sent them into towns to go cast out demons. He sent them with a mission. It's the same word. So Jesus was sent by God to do something. He was placed on a mission to save us. How do we know that? Well, at the very, in the next part of the verses, if you just keep going, verse 10 tells you that he sent so that we could be saved from our sins. So he's the ultimate demonstration of love. He was sent for us. That's God's act. And then God does something where he saves us from our sins. I'm skipping ahead a little bit of myself because the other parts of this verse is that it tells you that this love wasn't initiated by us. It was started by God. I think this is so important. And, and I don't, I'm trying to think of a way to like really explain this easily. I was, I was thinking, what is like, you know, you can unlock certain features in technology. You ever know, like there's like cheat codes sometimes in video games or there's, if you ever Google, you can Google it. There's like things you can unlock hidden features in your iPhone or your Android device. There's different ways you can do that. The, the other thing I thought of is because um, recently uh, Parker was sick and so he and I were chilling at home. And I was watching him, and he was just kind of chilling. And he was like, hey, Dad, can I just play Super Mario Brothers 3? Like, I'm talking old. Like, predates so many of your lives. And even, I think it predates my life by a few years. But it's on our Wii, which tells you how old school we are, too. We had the Wii. So he breaks out the Wii remote, and he starts playing Super Mario 3. And it's really weird. I still remember that there's this one level where if you get Mario to have the little raccoon thing. Everybody know what I'm talking about? He's got the hat and the tail, and you can do those spin moves. If you get him in the raccoon thing and he stands on a block, you hit the down arrow and he ducks. If you hold it long enough, he drops behind the whole screen and he walks behind the whole like screen, like behind like obstacles and everything. Nobody can get him. It's weird. It's like this unlocked feature that is hidden. I remember as a kid when I discovered that, I still remember it as a 30-some-year-old guy. Like, why? Why do I still remember Mario can drop down behind a box and walk around without mushroom people touching him? It's amazing, right? It's crazy. This is how I thought about this. Sometimes we think that God's love is something that we have to, like, unlock. It's this hidden feature. Some people get to experience it. Some people have these really weird and crazy experiences where they're like, oh man, the love of God just overwhelmed me. And I just, and they unlock this secret experience that is only for them. Or maybe you think, I've got to do certain things. And once I do certain things and I hit the right combinations, I'll unlock this new special feature in my relationship with God. And here's what this verse is telling you. That God loved us. God loved us. Not that we loved him first. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us. You didn't unlock God's love for you. I, th this again, 
if I can just stretch your mind a little bit so you'll be overwhelmed with God's love, because this is what just gets me. God didn't look forward in your life, which he has the full capacity to do. He knows your end date, okay? But he didn't look at 37-year-old version of you and fall in love with that version and just have to wait till you get to be that old. God didn't look at seven-year-old version when you were like, you know, pretty much innocent in so many ways. And you didn't get in fights and you didn't, you know, disobey your parents that much. You didn't talk back and you didn't do all the other stuff that you're getting into now that is, you know, kind of big boy and big girl problems. He doesn't look back at the seven-year-old version of you and go, man, I, I fell in love with you there. I mean, you're really a mess right now, but man, I just can't get over seven-year-old version of you. You were a cute one. You were adorable. You were probably like, what, as tall as me at that point already? Maybe, I don't know. But, I mean, you know, he doesn't do that. It's not that God falls in love with some little pretty version of you somewhere along the course of your life, and that's what convinced him to show his love for you. God loved you. You didn't love him back. You weren't seeking him. You weren't looking after, you weren't looking for it. He loved you. You didn't earn it. You didn't unlock it. You didn't activate it. It's not some special channel that you just happen to stumble upon that somebody else hasn't yet. God was proactively loving you, not reactively loving you. Here's what I mean by that. God didn't, God didn't just decide to love you because he reacted and go, oh, you sinned. I have to love you and save you now. wasn't a reaction. God chose even before you did that, even before you were created to love you. I mean, when I got that, and I, I, I hope that you can, this is what God has to do in your life to just overwhelm you with this, that he loved, like he, he, he loves you. Like the person you are today, right now, he loves you. The God of the universe, who has so many other things going on, loves you as you are right now, today. And here's the thing. It doesn't bother him that he has so many other things going on and he has to get involved in your life. Here's the beauty of that. He's big enough to be taking care of all the universe, holding it up. Stitching it all together and still getting into your mess and loving you as an individual person. He's big enough to do all those things at once. It's not a stretch for him. He's just big enough to do it all. Nothing prompted God to love you. His love was proactive in saving you. It's the last part in verse 10. It says that his love saves us because Jesus is the propitiation, which is a big word for saying he was the sacrifice for the wrath of God on our behalf. He was the substitutionary atonement. He paid for our sin. He was the substitute in our place that took on the wrath of God, paid the punishment for our sins so that you and I could be saved. So when you read this verse again, verse 10, this is love. You didn't activate God's love. God loved you already. And that love that he already had for you caused him to send his son to die for your sin and to save you from your sin. And this is what I really want you guys to understand because this is where the world is twisting this and this is the, the distinction. I read this earlier and I thought this was such an easy way to say it. God welcomes you in 
as you are. He welcomes you in as you are, okay? You don't have to change for God to love you, for God's love to be poured out on you. You don't have to change. He welcomes you in, but he doesn't affirm who you are in your sin. So many churches are, you know, like, this, right now you got to love everybody, love everybody. Yes, you do. We as a church should love everybody. And no matter who walks in our doors, we should welcome them in. We should invite them to sit down and hear the gospel preach and hear God's love for them and know that God cherishes them, God saves them, God desires for them to be in a relationship with him. We welcome them in the door, but you know what we don't do? We don't affirm and allow them to stay where they are in their sin. God doesn't do that with you either. He doesn't welcome you in and say, oh yeah, you just keep doing your thing because I love you. Like, I just have this blind love for you. You're the best. You didn't have to do anything. You heard, you heard my word. You heard that pastor guy say it. You didn't activate my love for you. I just do. So you don't have to do anything. Just receive my love and be good. No, he welcomes you in. But he loves, his love is, is pure. And his love is right. And his love loves you too much to affirm you to stay in the sinful stuff that you were in when you came to him. He doesn't want you to stay in that. Because he knows it's a trap. He knows it's death. He knows it will lead to destruction in your life. He welcomes you in, but he doesn't affirm and just say, oh, yeah, yeah, you just, you just do you. You're good. I love you. No. I love you. And because I love you, I died for that sin, and I want to remove it from your life. Because that sin in your life, that thing that you don't want anybody else to know, that thing that you just continue to come back to and that continues to beat you down. That thing that when you're honest with yourself, you're, you, you feel you know it's wrong. You know it. That thing that you are holding on to because it just is too good. Whatever that is, God says, I don't want you to stick with that. I don't want to affirm that in your life. I want to remove that because of my great love for you. My love saves you. My love doesn't leave you in your sin. So that leaves you with one, one question. Um, and this is what I thought would be a good way to end. What, what do you do with this love? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this love? Um, at the end of this passage, it says this. And I just want you guys to think about this verse for a second. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Some of you guys are, are looking to experience God in fresh ways. Can I submit to you that maybe the way that you could experience and feel, if I can use that word because I know we're all about that, if, I, if you want to feel the love of God in a new and a fresh and exciting way, maybe the way that you do that is if you love others the way that God has loved you that you would allow yourself to be used as an avenue for God's love to be shared in somebody else's life. You know, um, there, some of you guys, a lot of you guys live in neighborhoods. Um, you know, in real estate, cul-de-sacs, especially for moms, is like a gold mine. Y'all know what a cul-de-sac is, right? Do y'all call them something weird in North Carolina? It's a cul-de-sac, right? Okay, good. Just making sure, because I've been caught out before. I say the mountains that are in the west wrong, so I'm not going to say them here, because all you people who go to app, see, 
I'm not going to say it. So anyway, I'm just making sure. But anyway, so a cul-de-sac, right? Like, everybody loves this idea because you enter through the neighborhood, and then you get to the cul-de-sac, and it's just, you know, this rounded-off area where all these houses are, and it's like this utopia of play, right? Because you can, like, there's no traffic always passing by, and so it's just like this safe haven for kids to learn to ride bikes and play basketball, and it's like the best, right? Cul-de-sacs are great. So many people, that's how they experience the love of God. The love of God enters in, and they create a cul-de-sac in their life where it just stops with them, and they enjoy it, and it's safe, and they get wrapped up in it, and they never extend it beyond there. It dead ends right there. Could I, could I ask, if you chose that life, at some point, do you feel like your Christian walk, your faith, has gotten stale? That's what happens. Your Christian life gets stale when you continue just to consume for yourself and you never allow it to pass through and be poured out to others. Now, now some of you guys aren't at the consumption spot. You're, you're not consuming the love of God enough. And that, that, that was kind of the first part of this message. My hope is that you'd be overwhelmed with that God is love for you, that you didn't initiate it, and you would start to consume that. But as you consume this love, it should pass through to others. It should fill you up to the point where you're overflowing, and your overflowing spills out into the lives of other people. And if that happens, the love of God is perfected in you, which doesn't mean that you reach some super Christian height. What it does mean is that your experience in your relationship with God enters into new places that are fresh, that are refreshing, and that are filled with joy. And I think for so many of you, you've become this consumer cul-de-sac Christians where you consume God's love. You hear about it all the time. You're, you're under good preaching. You're reading the Bible. Maybe you're doing that. You're praying. You're, you're consuming all of God's love for yourself, but it never passes out of you into others. And because of that, your Christian life has grown stale and stagnant. I don't know if you've seen a stagnant pond. It stinks. It don't look pretty. If you ever want to go see one, you can walk down to where you guys uh, met us for Capture the Flag over by the PBCA soccer field. That pond, give it about August. It's literally green, and there are dead fish turned over because it's so stank. So that's, that's stagnant, okay? That, that's what happens when water doesn't flow. I would submit to you, instead of being a cul-de-sac Christian, could you be an avenue? Could you be an avenue for God's love, for you to receive it, for it to pass in, for you to grip it for yourself, and for it to fill you up so much that it then passes through into somebody else's life? And here's one, one simple thing I'll leave you with before we go. This week, could you go out of your way to share God's love with someone else? Go out of your way to share God's love with someone else. Because here, here's what I wrote down for myself, and I'll share it with you before we leave. If I look at all the ways that we talked about God loved us, this is what it tells me. Remember, keep this in mind. Go out of your way to love somebody else this week and show God's love for them. You have to initiate it because God loved me first. He loved first, so I need to initiate it. So I need to go out of my way to love somebody. I have to start it. They may not do anything. I just undeservingly initiate kindness towards them. He loved those who hated him. This means that I can't excuse myself from loving certain people. God loved those who hated him. So that means that I can't use the excuse of, mm, those are some people I can go out of my way to love, but there's just others I don't have to. As a believer, as somebody who's experienced the love of God, I'm not allowed to do that. 
He loved those who were different from him. I can't limit my love to those who I just think are deserving of it or who I feel comfortable around. His love gave what was best, even though at the time I wasn't looking for it or wanting it. Sometimes your act of love may not go down like sweet sugar. It may be bitter medicine for somebody to take, but that's still loving. His continued, his love continued when it wasn't convenient. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to leave heaven and be sent to earth. My love for other people has to continue even when it's not convenient towards me. His love persevered even when I wronged him or offended him. You don't get to just go out of your way to love somebody until they wrong you. And then you go, ha, you lost it. You had your one chance, you blew it. Yeah, you don't get to do that. Because that's not how God loved you. Which is great news. His love came at an extreme cost. He loved me at an extreme cost. Sometimes when you're going to have to go out of your way to love other people, it's going to cost you something. I mean, we talked about that a lot, but I just want to remind you of that. Finally, his love found concrete expression. And that just goes back to what I was saying before. You, you can fill your friends, your family with words, verbal, but really when it comes down to it, if you're going to go out of your way to love somebody this week, it's going to take an action. It's going to take a, an action to do something, not just say Hey, I'm going out of my way to tell you you're great. That's nice. It's encouragement. It's welcome. But action. Because again, I'm just trying to model what this love is. Because it says here, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. All right, let's pray. Lord, at times, the love that you have for us is so overwhelming that we can't explain it. We struggle to find the words. We struggle to find the analogies. I find comfort that even the Apostle Paul was begging you to help us to understand the height, the width, the depth, the measure of your love for us because it is so great. God, I pray that in, in, in just reading through these few verses tonight, I ask you to overwhelm these students. Even if there is only just one student tonight who is overwhelmed with your love for them as they walk out of this room, God, may they be so captured by it that it causes them to pour it out to other people. That they understand that the embrace of love that you give to them is perfect love. Not as the world gives it, but as you give it. Because you define it. It doesn't define you. Lord, we just thank you that you are a God who does everything in love. Every single thing you've done to us and for us is out of your love. Help us to have the faith to believe that today, Lord. And we thank you for this time and, and for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you now. And as we go... May we seek out ways to love others, to go out of our way to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.